everybody. Welcome back into a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. My name is Mac, and thanks for coming in for the newest episode. I am so excited about the guest that I have for you guys today. Um, before we get into it, though, um, you know this has become kind of my weekly check-in with you guys to, to tell you about my visits with my kids. Um, actually, before I get into that, let me comment on the bonus episode that I put out uh, midweek this week about the GoFundMe page. First and foremost, I want to thank everybody who donated, um, and I can't even put into words what that does for my heart. Um, every time I see a donation come in, I get my heart in my, in my throat, and uh, thank you for supporting me. Um, I still have a long way to go, and I feel like a panhandler. Uh, I've said to a couple people in DMs, like, I'm embarrassed. I feel like a panhandler. Um but like I said on that episode, like I got no choice, man. I have no choice and I, and I have to do what I have to do to get my time with my kids back. And um, oh, it's just so hard. And uh, so, yeah, thank you to everybody who donated. And if you if you can, I would appreciate it if you go to GoFundMe.com, search Dimmy the Gaslight, and you can read the story there. Um, now, to check in on my visit with the kids this week. Um, they came in crying, which is okay. I don't mind that they come in crying, but it's funny. I, I, like I said, I record their entry every time and they walk in crying and it's funny. Like they cry. And then my son saw me and started smiling and laughing. Cause the moment he sees me, he, he loves me. And, uh, I say in the video, I'm like, I see, I hear crying, but I see smiling and it's so cute and so funny. And, um, honestly, I think my, my little daughter is kind of, um, copycatting her brother. I think she's crying cause he's crying and then he's, she smiles when he smiles. Um, so I kind of have to, you know, I got to get to him and, and make him realize that it's all okay. And I know you miss your mommy and it's so hard for them to separate, especially because they go to school all week and now they got to come to me early in the morning and I really wish they could sleep in, but I'm not going to forego my, my visitation with them. So, um, it's just a sucky situation, man. At the end of the day, it's such a sucky situation. Um, so we had a great time as always. You know, we uh, it was cute. We set up almost like a war between the uh, dinosaurs. So like the grown-up dinosaurs were protecting the baby dinosaurs. And, uh, you know, we were playing with toys and shooting baskets. And I bring, I bring a big Bluetooth speaker and we have a dance party. And, um, you know, I've shared many times that my son loves that High Hope song by Panic at the Disco. So we were dancing and uh, we throwing balls across the room and, it's just rowdy and it's fun and, and, uh, they have a great time. It's funny. So I posted a picture on my Instagram and I'm now on Twitter too. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at dimming gaslight. It wouldn't let me put the, so it's just dimming gaslight at, um, Twitter. So if you want to follow me there, I'm going to post my daily thoughts or whatever's going on in my life. Um, so you guys don't have to wait in between episodes if you want to hear what's going on with me. But, um, yeah, so, so, uh, I posted on Instagram a picture of um, the Christmas tree that just got lit up in, in New York City, and, and you can see it from directly outside the window in my office. And I said to the kids, I go, hey, did you guys hear about the Christmas tree in New York? And they go, yeah. I go, it's so cool. Let me show you pictures. So I show them the pictures of it, and they go, yeah, we're going to go with Mommy and Fireman John to the Christmas tree. And I was like, oh, cool. And then in my head, I go, shoot, like I have this restraining order on me and this is my turf, right? This is where I work. But like, God forbid, I mean, I can't imagine what the chances are, but God forbid I run into them at the Christmas tree. I would have to run the other way. Like, God, my God, it's just the layers of annoyingness and, and pettiness that this situation goes through because I'd have to run the other way to see my kids at the New York city Christmas tree. If they ever showed up, it's horrible. Um, and, uh, so it was, it was also cute. I, I said to my son, you know, we talk about feelings and I want to talk about how he feels about things. And I was like, do you feel sad lately? And he goes, yeah, a little. And I was like, how about angry? Do you feel angry? And he goes, yeah. And I go, what are you angry about? And he goes, um, well, I have to be nicer to mommy. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I got to be nicer to mommy. I was like, how are you not nice to mommy? He's like, I don't know. He's six. He doesn't know. I'm like, did mommy say you have to be nicer to her? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, but what do you have to do? He's like, I have to listen more. And I was like, okay. I was like, and what else? And he's like, I just have to be a good boy. And I was like, I see. I was like, okay, well, your mom's right. You do have to listen. You do have to be a good boy. And I was like, is she gaslighting this fucking kid? 
is she gaslighting this fucking kid to think, oh, I, you know, I got to listen to whatever mommy says. I mean, like, I don't know, man, my brain, you know, I'm just doing the best I can. And, you know, my brain is so inundated with all this narcissism stuff that I'm like, shit, like now she's, is this devaluing? Is she devaluing my six-year-old? What can I do? Can't do anything. Um, so it was a weird situation. And, uh, yeah, so on the way out, I said to him, I said to my son, I was like, um, what is the worst thing about your life right now? And he's like, I don't know. And I was like, yeah, kind of a stupid question. I go, what's the best thing about your life right now? And he goes, getting to see you and playing here. And I was like, yeah, dude, it's the best part of my life too. It's the best part of my life. It's the best part of my week. It's the best, best hour. And I just wish these hours would drag. But the only hours that drag are the hours that I don't get to see them. And that's why it's so important for me to expand this visitation time and, and get an emergent motion to, to get my kids back. So, um, so now today is day 79 and I have only seen my kids for four hours in 79 days. And if you have kids, you know, that's not enough and, um, it's devastating. So working through it, um, again, thank you for the donations to the GoFundMe page. I'm going to, I'm going to work on that, man. It's, it's, it's a need to do thing. So anyway, um, so moving on, I have probably the biggest name of any guest that I've ever had on this podcast this week. Um, his name is Matt Pfeiffer. I have been following him since the moment I logged onto Instagram and started this journey. Like I have been following this guy forever. Um, some of the content that he posts is either absolutely hilarious. Um, it's absolutely logical. Um, and it's a lot about like healing and it's a lot about, you know, um, kind of creating your boundaries. And that's why I wanted him on this podcast to talk about stuff like that. Um, so yeah, check out this episode. Um, I don't want to ruin anything for you, but I'll, I'll sum up some of the stories that I relate to next week. Um, but yeah, check this out. All right, everybody, welcome back into a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. So I am here with somebody that I have followed from the very start of this recovery journey from narcissistic abuse. This guy has nearly almost a million followers on TikTok and I think like 60,000 followers on Instagram. This guy is the, I don't want to call you a guru, man, but you're kind of the guru of, of narcissism. So I'm here with Matt Pfeiffer. Matt, say hi. Hey, how are you? Thank you for having me up. Yeah, man, this is this is so cool. Dude, like I said, I've been following you for so long. And it, it was funny, before we came on the air right here, I was watching an old video that actually I reposted of you. And you're talking about like practicing mindfulness. But in your video, you're talking about reading Rainbow. And it's like DMX. Do you remember doing yeah, that? Yeah, I remember that. That's one of my, that's one of my favorite videos. Yeah. I was laughing so hard watching that video. So yeah, Matt is like super cool and he's got a lot of stuff on, on his uh, sites about, it's a lot of joking stuff and a lot about healing and how to co-parent with narcissists and all this kind of stuff. But I wanted to bring him on the show today to talk about several things in particular, one being exiting a relationship with your narcissist, two being creating your boundaries and how to separate from your narcissist. And also moving on with your life post-narcissistic abuse. So that's why I brought Matt on here, and, and that's what we're going to talk about a little bit. Matt, before we get into it, though, would you tell us a little bit how you got into this influencer role with your coaching and all this kind of stuff? Yeah, you know, um, so I've, um, uh, I mean, you, you know, you and I talked off uh, offline that I um, lived in Buffalo, New York for, for a long time, went to school to become a therapist. Um Long story short, my first gig out of uh, school was um, to be a substance use therapist, and I was avoiding it like the plague at the time. Um, not not for any other reason, but um, I always wanted to work in relationships as a therapist. I always wanted that's well, that's the reason why I went to school. And so, uh, but what I didn't know um, was that there was a lot of relational aspects, even dealing with people who were dealing with substance use and. I learned a lot about codependency and addiction, and I didn't realize at the time how common, uh, or let me rephrase, the parallels between an addiction and people who are coming out of a toxic or narcissistic relationship. So uh, long story short, I went through my, my own drama, uh, had, uh, had, to, uh, had to learn a lot of the things that I teach the hard way, uh, learned a lot of it on, on my own. And one of the, thing, one of the aspects that, that uh, I found 
was that a lot of the things that we were taught in school, um, they were true. They were 100% true and they were 100% accurate, but they didn't teach people in real time and in real life. So, for example, in school, I learned, all, like, I learned how to recognize from a therapist's perspective what a narcissist looks like. But that doesn't line up with what I would tell someone who is on the dating scene or who is uh, in a relationship with a narcissist, what they should be looking for. Two completely different things. And so, um, so when I when I was going through my healing process, it was I was very embarrassed. I was embarrassed to talk to uh, talk to therapists and talk to uh, coaches about what I had been through because quote unquote I should have seen it. I should have recognized it. And uh, I you know when I was going through it, I um, you know it was at a time where it wasn't cool for for men to be able to speak out on it. Um, and so um, so long story short, um, I. Um, left therapy and got a little bit more into coaching. That was kind of the direction I wanted to go into. I wanted to work with people, kind of do your, your whole Matthew Hussey dating, uh, dating life type of stuff. Um, and that's what I was doing. That was the type of content I was creating. And, uh, I was invited to, to do a podcast very, very much very similar to, to this. And they specifically wanted me to talk to them about toxic relationships, not even really knowing what I had been through or anything like that. So I went and the podcast episode went viral. And so they invited me back and then it went viral again. I was like, you know what? This is obviously some information that people need to hear. And uh, so I started creating more content around that um, and, uh, and and around narcissism. Um, then I got on TikTok right as the pandemic hit. Um, what's interesting about TikTok during the pandemic time was that one of the things, and we'll probably talk about it today, Whenever you're leaving a narcissist, one of the last things that you should do is a tell them that you're leaving, tell them what plan, what your plans are, you know, anything like that. Well, the problem is that, and here's the other part that people don't don't realize. We'll probably talk about today as well. The springtime, like around tax season, that's uh, that's what divorce lawyers will tell you is considered divorce season because a lot of times people will take their income tax and apply it towards lawyers and towards oh, wow. housing and that sort of thing. Well. Obviously, that was around the same time the pandemic hit. So everyone was locked down. Everyone was everyone was um, locked down with people who were abusive. Everyone had filed for divorce, but then they all none of them then the courts were shut down, so no one could go anywhere. And so and it was and at the time it was rare for people to have content around narcissism. So all of a sudden it was like everything all just hit at once. Where I had multiple multiple different videos out. Um, the the pandemic hit, everyone was locked down. And so it was like this big explosion of not only followers, but of uh, people who were looking for that type of content to try to help get them through their situation. And, um, and so then here we are. Yeah. It's funny. You know, I feel, I hear from a lot of people like with this whole narcissism thing is like the pandemic really brought out a lot of this because, you know, a lot of times we went to work or we just separated for a few hours, but now we were all home and we were all in this close vicinity with our narcissist and it became unbearable. And I can completely relate to that. I yeah, completely relate to that. Um, you were talking about an exit plan. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. I love how you said, number one, don't tell them. And that was like the biggest mistake for me because I told my ex that I was interviewing wires. And whether you know or not, Matt, I had a false restraining order put up to separate me from my mm -hmm. my young children. So, um, yeah, that is the biggest no-no. But what specifically about that is a problem for the listeners? We have to remember that with with narcissists, uh, one of their biggest it, – it, it's a very upside-down world that they live in, that they don't um, – they don't want to treat you with the respect that you deserve, but they also don't want you to leave because and in and, and a very twisted way, they're mistreating you with the thought process that if I if I'm mistreating this and, and, and my if I'm if I can treat this person this poorly and they still won't leave, then they're never gonna leave. Well, when you do leave, that then, then they realize that they're actually losing the control, number one. But then also, if you leave, especially if you're the one leaving them, <clears throat> um, they start to realize that uh, this is going to look bad on them. This is going to look bad on them as 
uh, in your like in your situation as a mother that the that the father was the one that filed for the divorce and and left uh if it's if it is the reverse of that if it's the father who's being left um you know that I couldn't and and there's some elements that's true with with this with anybody but with a narcissist the problem with that is that they feel and they they see all these aspects of it but then they have to have control over it and it causes what's called a narcissistic injury and so they feel entitled to punish you for that so then uh, even if you are successful with leaving you enter into what's what's called post discard abuse um, and that's um, and that's where it, it, it can get really really crazy you know we have people who are um, who will wipe out your bank account clean I mean you, you I'm sure you've heard and maybe experienced all the stories of people stalking um, try to turn kids against each other uh, or, or against uh, their parents and weaponizing things and uh, it gets um, you know it, it gets a lot of the things that you are afraid that they would do if you were to ever leave uh, oftentimes that's exactly what they start doing and that that is my experience exactly um financial abuse i was homeless uh separated from my young children yeah just awful awful stuff so not telling them i completely 100 percent agree with you how can somebody start to take that one step further take, take that one step further because oftentimes people you know they might get that you shouldn't tell them the things that your lawyer is saying or that you are leaving um but we also have to understand that, like, when you're meeting with a coach or a therapist, you can't tell them things that the coach or the therapist is saying either. Um, yeah, my therapist, I, I just, you're crazy. Like, yeah. come on. They'll they'll try to discredit them. They'll, you know, those those sorts of things. And so it's important to talk and open up and communicate to other people about what's going on. But again, it's important that you don't recycle that information back to um, back to the narcissist. And the reason why people do that when people go through an abusive relationship. Their loyalty lies with the with the abuser, and so they oftentimes do this unknowingly, and they and sometimes they're subconsciously trying to get the narcissist to comply and trying to get them to change, because uh, they themselves don't want to make that difficult decision. They don't want to be the bad guy in the building, so oftentimes they do that and uh, uh, do that subconsciously. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because I can remember in my my personal situation, I can remember my narcissist asking me. Well, what happened at therapy? What did you tell them? You know, they yeah. wanted to get into the inner workings of your therapy session to, to figure out how much you're divulging. Um, so you said when we were talking before about, you know, don't tell them your eggs and plant, but what can you start to do, especially in like a domestic violence type situation? What can you do in order to start formulating your escape, your eggs and plant? You want to have a plan for the, the big four. You want to have a place to live. You want to have access to access to your funds. You want to make sure that you have um, your uh, have a, a way to get around, so a, a way to drive, or you know, a friend or a family member that's able to to take you from a, point A to point B. And you want to make sure that you still have access for communication. And those are the and the reason why I call those the big four is um, you, let's say that they do find out that you're leaving. Um, then those are typically the, the four things that they, and, and I can add a big five, the, the kids as well. So what happens is that they will, they will oftentimes, oftentimes try to put you out or sometimes they'll be the one to leave, especially if they're the breadwinner. They can possibly, uh, when we talk about having access to funds, they will wipe out, wipe the bank account clean. Um, they will turn your phone off so you can't contact other people. Uh, and oftentimes they will, um, you know, especially if the car is in their name, they'll have a repoed or whatever the case is. So when we have a plan in place, oftentimes I tell people to meet with a lawyer first, talk to them about what you're doing, what, you know, you leaving. Um, so then uh, you you want to wait till like the very last minute, take enough money out of the account and put it into an account that uh, only you have access to. So you can, so you can um, take care of yourself, take care of the kids so you can eat and provide for yourself. Uh, if you, Things, uh, things that people don't think about, like if you have direct deposit, change in the direct deposit. Um, I would, so I would plan on when you're leaving, plan on doing the, doing leaving like just a few days after your direct deposit. Oh, let me rephrase. You want to make sure that the direct deposit when you're when you change when the direct deposit is 
is going to your bank account, you want to make sure that you give it enough time that you know for a fact it's going to go to the proper bank account. That's not that 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 because that first check for a lot of people is very very critical, and oftentimes people that's one of the last things that they think about. And then that first check oftentimes is rent, groceries, whatever it is, whatever people need need to need to do to survive, and then it still goes to that other person. You're not getting that back, and uh, not not now, not ever. And so uh, those are so, so those are some some things. And then when we uh, talk about, uh, oftentimes people will say like, well, they've never been abusive before. They've never been physically abusive. And I tell people that that doesn't mean that they won't be physically abusive. And oftentimes that's when people get into situations where the uh, they they put themselves in in bad situations where that person now has the ability to um, to have false accusations against you because you've told them that you're leaving. Now they're grabbing you, they're hitting you, and then they say that you're the one that that is uh, that's that caused all the drama, that caused all the conflict. You know, so you want to do this in a way where not only do you have a plan for all of those, the, the big four, big five, like I was talking about, but then, but also <clears throat> when they're at work, when they've left that you, that that's when you, you box everything up. And the hard part is, yeah, you have to leave some sentimental things behind. You have to leave the, the furniture behind quite often um, because you're going to have to make a plan for, for all the things that are, are necessities. Um, oftentimes I tell people to make sure that your um, paperwork, like your, your uh, your uh, birth certificate, social security numbers, all that. You actually want to take care of that days, maybe even weeks before. Have that, you know, with a trusted family member. Um, and like some of the things that, and you always want to write down all the things that you need to do because there are a lot of things that you need to do. Um, because once you leave, like you got to be on the go. So you want to do. So some of the things that people forget about, you want to change the. Um, the password to your emails, to your Facebook accounts, all of that type of stuff. Unlink all your iCloud information. That was a big deal for me because little did I know my iCloud was still linked to my son's iPad. So she could still see everything that I was doing. And I didn't realize it until like weeks later. It's like, oh, shoot. You know? So yeah, that's, that's a big deal. And I'm glad that you said that about like, you know, social security card, birth certificate. Those things are essential because they'll never give it back to you. No. And and, uh, and can you can you retrieve though? Can you get a new one? Hundred percent, you can get a new one. But the problem is, is that it takes so long, and we have to remember that that time is of the essence with all of this. And the and what, for some people, they need they need to they might be going back into the workforce, so you need your social security number, you need your your birth certificate, and if you don't have those things, if you don't have your license or whatever, all of a sudden you have some major, major hiccups and some major, major delays um, when you really don't have the time to waste and you don't have the resources to waste in, in those situations and a great majority of situations. Some, sometimes people are, are okay because they have family and they have support systems around them. But for a lot of people, they've moved states, they've moved cities, they're in a, in a new place, new element around people that they're not aware of. So they don't have as many resources or places they can go to. Um, if it's a, if it's a, um, if it's a, a guy, uh, they, they don't have, um, battered men's shelters, you know, things of that nature. So we have to be very particular with our resources. One thing I always tell people is that you're not going to get out of the relationship completely unscathed. You're, there's going to be some scathing. Our responsibility, our job at that point is to minimize the scathing as much as we possibly can. Yeah. And like, when it comes to like, you know, like you were saying, yes, you can get another social security card. And yes, you can get another birth certificate, but you're going to have so much going on up in your head and for the listener right now. I'm tapping my temples right now. You're going to have so much that's going on in your head that like you don't want to be worrying about a birth certificate or a driver's license or any of that stuff. You're going to be in like full blown healing mode, right? Like that's like what it's going to be all about. So the less burdens that you can give yourself all those external circumstances that you can avoid that's the best case scenario well one of my favorite sayings and i think it's very true here is um you know a person who fails to plan is planning failure so yes if you are kind of doing this it feels like you're just kind of ripping the bandaid out but you want to have as much planned out as you as you possibly can the better better plan the more thorough plan the more that you have other people involved 
you def- the other things you don't want to tell the kids, uh, and and for some people they feel like you know I'm I'm doing so- doing something wrong at being secretive, and the reality of it is that yeah you are you're doing it for your own survival you are being secretive and uh, but the re- and the reason why I wanted to mention that is that oftentimes people who are struggling with people pleasing, one this is this is um, gonna sound counterintuitive but one of the signs of people pleasing is the inability to lie. So people are like, wait a minute. I, I didn't like, I thought lying was bad. Well, in the, in the proper context, lying is good. If you need to lie to someone to save your life, right? Someone is, is, is threatening you or causing you harm and you don't have the ability to lie because you want to do the right thing that, you know, that is an unhealthy version of people pleasing. So yeah, are you being secretive? Are you, you know, to, you know, in a way to, but yes, you are, but, in a, but we have to remember that you're doing this to survive because you're not likely to survive the, the relationship that you're in if it, if it continues to go down that route. Wow. That is super poignant because I have such an aversion to lying, but I also consider myself a people pleaser. And the fact that you just said that, I don't know if you saw me on the screen right now while we're talking, but the lights just went on in my head. I go, Oh my God, this guy just gave me something to think about because that may be true. Um, all right. So transitioning a little bit here. So once you're out, so these are great. This is great advice in terms of trying to separate. What can you do in the those early days when I left my narcissist? Holy crow, were those heavy. I mean, that was maybe the heaviest time in my life. The only time I could think of something, you know, comparable to that, it was like a death or something. I was crushed, man. So what can you do on those early days in terms of one, helping yourself and two, also creating boundaries from your narcissist, not go back, not allow that Hoover. What can you do for those? Type of things? So this is where, um, what I was talking about earlier, um, the experience I had with, um, with, uh, addictions, with dealing with substance use really helped out. So when we, so the reason why people struggle with it so much is because of the trauma bond. And when we're talking about a trauma bond, anytime you hear that word, just start thinking addiction. It's literally the it's literally the same part of the brain that deals with uh, not just any addiction but heroin addiction. And so what happens um, when if you were to talk to someone who ever struggled with a, a heroin addiction, they'll tell you that the very first time that they ever used it was the most euphoric feeling that they've ever, ever had in their life. And so after that, they do what's called chasing the very first high. They keep they trying to recreate that first high. It doesn't work, obviously. And then they cycle down to a point where, uh, you know, the the uh, substance use gets so bad that they have to stop. And then once they do, everyone knows what happens when, when someone who struggles with heroin stops using, they go into withdrawal. That's what's happening here. You're going through withdrawal. So your body thinks that you, you're the aches and the pains and everything that you just mentioned, everything you just talked about, you think the only solution to get and get through that, to get through the sleepless nights and to get past all of it is to go back. And so you actually have to allow for all of those things to exit your system. And, and the, so the difference between substance use and this is that people who are going through this um, in a substance use situation, there's actually medicated assisted treatment that can really help in those situations. There's not here. That's the reason why it's so difficult. And people, and there's a strong argument, and people um, uh, in the psychology field argue whether or not it's more difficult to get over toxic relationship than it is a heroin addiction because of that. And so some of the things that you can do to get past those things is you want to journal, you want to write down all the reasons why you left to begin with, because you're going to have a euphoric recall. You got to think all that. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I call that my ruminations list, my quote unquote ruminations list. And so I just started on my phone one day writing bullet points and being like, hey, remember that time? It was my first father's day. Right. And she made my first father's day about her dad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I started writing down all these things that she did to me. And like that really helped in those early days was this ruminations list of going back and be like, oh, but I remember going down to the beach and walking with our kids in the sand and be like, no, remember when she threw that hot cup of oatmeal in my face? Like I remember other things, you know what I mean? So 
yeah, that it was such a big deal. And that's a lot of times when I tell these people in my DMs, I say, make a ruminations list. Remember all the very real bad times. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and sometimes you even forget it. And like, and so when you start writing it down, it, it actually will come back to memory. And I tell people to keep it in your wallet, keep it, you know, on your phone, if it's on your phone or whatever. And then every time you're struggling, look back at it. You're going to notice that, and this is actually what people don't realize is that this is actually a mindfulness practice. So you, when you're feeling those feelings like you missed the person and everything, it's going to feel very, literally feel very heavy. You're going to feel it heavy in your chest and, and everything. But when you start reading through that list, you're going to notice that it's going to break up all those emotions and it's going to start um, moving through your moving through your body where it gets to a point where it's it's a lot more sustainable. And it makes the it makes the fantasy less real you know what i mean it makes it makes that the fantasy of the idea that you have in their head less it's more palpable like you can you can actually see the realities like you have this illusion in your head that's not the reality of the situation the the other thing i I would say is you know I, i think you know um most people understand about no contact but if you have children it's considered low contact because you can't not talk to them but we have to understand that the narcissist is going to use that to their advantage. So some of the things that that you can do is, um, and this might seem counterintuitive to a lot of people because you're so used to responding to them every five minutes uh, within two minutes of them texting you, but delay the messages significantly. Instead of significant, you have to respond to them within five minutes. Delay, you know, don't respond to them for a couple hours. Not in a way to play a game that says it actually has nothing to do. With has everything to do with you healing and getting everything back to uh, understanding that that you now have control and autonomy over yourself, that you have boundaries and people can't dictate when when you talk to them. When, and of course, they're going to say you you they'll say things like you just don't care about the kids, uh, I you you know, you just don't love me, you and all those sorts of things that are going to feel very hurtful to you. But the reality of it is that we have to understand that even in the court and they'll they'll use court and they'll try to make that as a threat. Like, you know, just wait till the judge finds out. I'm going to get full custody. The reality of it is that that you have rights and they have rights and they don't have they don't have the right to dictate you, um, you know, when you need to respond back to them. Yeah, I know you can't give legal advice, but is there like a statute of limitations on how long you can go without responding? I mean, would you advise? A couple hours, 24 hours. What do you think? So um, there's certain there's certain times um, that uh, it, it's OK. It's completely OK not to talk to them, not to respond whatsoever. So um, the general rule of thumb is that if it's about the kids, then, yes, there needs to be a response. But um, 24 hours um, is perfectly fine in situations like that. Unless I mean, obviously, if uh, if the if the child um because here's the thing about it is that oftentimes like 90% of the stuff is not an emergency. So let's say that the child left that they forgot their backpack. That seems and it sounds like this big, this big ordeal, right? But the reality of it is that even if you waited 24 hours to get them, get the their backpack to them, there's no good. Even, some people don't have their phone on them. They don't, you know, there's, uh, you're, some people aren't allowed to be on their phone at work and all that kind of stuff. And the reality of this is that little Johnny, little Susie, are, they're going to survive without their backpack for 24 hours. They're going to be perfectly fine. They're still going to have homework. They're still going to get through get through the day. I typically tell people don't, you know, if you can help it, not to wait 24 hours, you know, but, you know, a full day, you know, waiting until you get out of work is perfectly fine. Now, the narcissist is going to blow your phone up and they're going to, you know, I can't believe you're not in, but that is your proof to court the reason why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. What you want to do is you want to show the show the court, you want to show the legal system that you're the more mature person in the situation. Keep it 100% about the kids. So the times that you don't respond is that sometimes they might try to intertwine like something about the kids with something that's more personal. Uh, are you dating someone else? I just need to know um, because I want to make sure that you're not bringing salt us around the kids. Right. They're really just trying to and trying to be a prick and trying to figure out like what you're doing. Um, right. who, uh, who do you have the kids staying the night with? Like that type of stuff. It, it doesn't doesn't need a response. Yeah. 
You know, it's funny too, in my personal situation, I think like if my kid forgets their backpack, right? Is a judge going to care about this? You know what I mean? Like, am I going to lose custody over my kids because they forgot their backpack? Or like I took them to the movie theater and they got a hot dog and they got diarrhea or something like that. Is a judge going to care? You know what I mean? I reserve my energy now, especially when it comes to Our Family Wizard, for just only things that matter. You know, is a judge going to care about this? Is a courtroom going to care about this? Other than that, I don't want to talk to them because they're just energy vampires. And, and you're right. And not only do they, but we also have to remember one of the things that uh, when I'm working with people, we talked a lot about your rights as a parent. When you understand your rights as a parent, you understand that uh, you don't have to be the perfect parent and the court doesn't expect for you to be. And we also have to remember that um, when the narcissist is making all these accusations, they are not the lawyers. They are not the judge. They're not the ones who are determining the case. So that and and as strange as it sounds, and the the one and only time that I actually defend a narcissist is is actually that they're allowed to think about whatever they think whatever they want about you, your situation, dealing with the kids or whatever. They're allowed to think that you're the villain, and when we offer them to think whatever they want, what happens is that that actually releases a lot of the control that they have over you. You know, oftentimes the reason why we struggle with co-parenting is that we care too much, like we want to prove that we're still trying to prove to them that we're worth it, that we, you know, that we're uh, a good parent, that we're a good dad, that we're a good mom. When you are like, I don't care if they think I'm a good parent or not, it releases so much control and give, and, and gives you so much freedom. Yeah, I know how like everybody loves their social media out there and I post a lot of memes on my page and stuff like that. And I posted this thing one time and it was like, I'm not responsible for the story that you created about me in your head, right? Like it doesn't, you can think whatever the hell you want about me. I know who I am. I know who loves me. I love me. I'm healing. And I don't care what you think about me. If you think I'm a this and I'm a that, tell it to somebody else. Go ahead, go with the smear campaign. Do it because I know who matters. And and I've, I've had this analogy on this podcast a few times is that I've said I'd rather have four quarters than a hundred pennies. I don't need all I don't need a lot of people in my life. I just need a couple of good ones. You know what I'm saying? But while we touch on that, and here's something that I think is super prevalent for a lot of people when it comes to um separating from narcissistic abuse, you come to find that like there's a lot of people around you who either lack empathy or they're not there for you when you need them. And you beyond just the narcissist, you start cutting other toxic people out of your life. So how do you deal with something like that when you start noticing, oh, shoot, there's other people in my life that are toxic? One of the things that I, I always tell people this story, you may you might remember this story from my podcast. Um, but when I was living in New York, um, I own my home and, and the, the homes in New York are um, lovely, but they're older. Right. They're they're built, you know, sometimes, you know, um, several, several, several decades ago, sometimes 100 years ago. So sometimes they they're, you know, they're. They might have uh, different blemishes that just kind of go unnoticed and unchecked. Well, one time I had, um, there was a bat that was flying through my living room and um, got rid of it. I did it all on, I did it by myself and called my friend who was an exterminator and was joking around with him like, hey, I did this myself. You're ripping people off just joking with them. You're ripping people off. People can do all this stuff themselves. They don't have to, and you don't have to charge them as much money as you do. And he was laughing back at me and he said, if you have one, you probably have a lot. You probably have a much bigger problem. And so he came and he did his uh, his his inspection, and we went into my attic and it was basically like the the bat cave in my attic. And what happened was that there was a little hole, uh, just very very small, but um, but uh, bats because they're rodents can you know shrink themselves down to to get themselves into like little small cracks and little holes like that. Um, and the reason why I love sharing that, that analysis, oftentimes we're living a life that lacks boundaries. We're living a life that we, uh, we're so used to people pleasing and doing those things. And that's like having that little small hole. And so, yes, we have some people that we like, and maybe they like us, but we can't tell the difference. And what happens is that we allow too many people that are taking advantage and that, and they come in and they basically are taking advantage and basically residing in areas and in your life that actually don't belong there. And so what happens is that when you discover that hole and you actually take care of it, 
you start to realize that there was a lot of people that didn't belong there to begin with. And had you been setting boundaries from the beginning, had you been not people pleasing from the beginning, they probably wouldn't have been there. They probably wouldn't have been there from the beginning. They may not have been there for, you know, um, like, for example, if you don't mind me asking, you don't have to tell me like what happened, but when you went through your situation, when you very, very first met your, uh, your now ex, there was probably some things in the very beginning, you know, oftentimes people say like, I, I had no idea. Like I was so blindsided when I, when, you know, two years into the marriage or whatever. But when we think about the very, very beginning, there's always something that we, when we think back, we're like, I knew that. Oh yeah. She sucked from the very start. Okay. <laughs> but we don't want to do anything and we we're trying to avoid conflict. We don't want to, we don't want to cause chaos, but there's always something that tells us you need to walk away from this. Well, if we would actually validate ourselves and listen to ourselves right from the beginning, oftentimes we, we wouldn't end up in with as much, um, as many bats in our home as, as, um, as people. Dude, what a, what a prolific story. Yeah, that's crazy. But all right. So this, this is kind of a, a little heavier though, but so what do you do when you notice maybe it's your family, you know? How do you create healthy boundaries with a toxic family member? I always tell people like with family members, it's a little bit different because there's not so much, there's oftentimes not as much of an addiction um, component to it. Uh, so we tend to have, um, cause we're actually wired to leave our families. We're wired to leave our parents and, and that sort of thing. I'm not saying that it's easy or, or anything like that, but it's, it's a little bit different. Uh, and then also sometimes it's tough because it might just be one family member. It might be a mom, a dad, sister, a brother, but everyone else in your family is very supportive. Uh, and so uh, I tell people that you, instead of being a thermometer, be a thermostat. Instead of when they're good, I'm good. When when I'm bad, when they're down, I'm down. Be the thermostat. You be the one to adjust temperature. If you feel like they're getting too involved like you create distance you turn that heat down you you allow for it to get a little bit more cold maybe you don't answer their phone calls as frequently maybe if you're talking to them once a week maybe you cut that down to two times a month if you're talking to them two times a month and let's say that you cut it down to two times a month and that's still not enough then turn it down even further maybe you only talk to them once once a quarter maybe you only talk to them around the holidays yeah. and um but you can keep in mind that you can always turn the temperature back up. If you are only talking to them around the holidays and you feel like the things are a little bit too cold, turn it back up, call them out and call them every once in a while. Um, so those are, that's kind of a, a quick hitter way of describing like how you can handle that type of situation. Um, it's not a, it's not a one size fits all situation though, because sometimes it's a whole family that is ganging up on one person, especially if you're like cheap of the family. Sometimes it's necessary to cut people off, and sometimes it's necessary to cut your family off. Um, but uh, you have to remember that you're the one that that has the cage. Yeah, and I think that's really great advice, especially you know as we're recording this during the holiday season, because so many people are going to feel guilty and they're going to say, "Well, what if I don't go to mom's house for Thanksgiving, or what if I don't go for Christmas, or something like that?" And to me, as I'm listening to you, I just think like. Personally speaking, I think the biggest thing for me right now is to protect my peace because I know what it's like so long to not have peace that now that I'm starting to get it a bit, um, I really reserve that peace for the people I want in my life. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's that's like super important. Um, so we've talked a bit about boundaries and we talked a little bit about, you know, um, kind of moving out of out of a relationship, but like how do you adjust to the world post narcissistic abuse forever? I know you got to take it. You can't eat an elephant all at once. Right. But like, you got to, how do you move on? How do you move on? Everybody's listening to this going, how do we get over it? You know, when do you, I always get the question, when am I going to know that I've healed? And I always joke with people. I'm like Thursday at two o'clock, you know, like we never know. We don't know, but it's all about personally speaking for me, it's all about doing those things that I was denied doing when I was in my relationship. So if I wanted to go to a concert, if I wanted to go to a ball game, if I wanted to go to my favorite restaurant, I'm not above eating by myself. You know what I mean? Go to all those things that you were denied before. Do you have any advice for the, those kind of things like moving on? 
Well, continue to set boundaries. Continue to continue to be true to yourself. <clears throat> um, continue, but also the part that people don't talk about enough is the way that you, we heal from uh, toxic relationships is to make sure that we have healthy relationships around us. And so that doesn't necessarily mean a romantic one, but make sure that we have good supportive people and good support systems around us. Um, and <clears throat> people who are encouraging us and uh, educate yourself on on those things. But the reality of this is that we should always be healed. And there's not like this destination that we're getting that we're trying to get to. We get to a point where we feel comfortable having uh, good, relate, good, healthy people around us. You're going to start to get to a point where you could care less about the narcissist. You care less about the things that they've done. Um, you may not have forgotten about it or anything like that, but um, you just get to a point where it just doesn't matter anymore. Uh, so we want to get to a place where those the things that happened to you in the past aren't overwhelming anymore. Uh, and then you enter into like more of a maintenance phase that um, maybe you're not listening and watching and reading up on boundaries as much as you did in the beginning. But you're doing it enough to make sure that you're able to maintain and, and that you know that you're not going to fall back into bad habits and bad situations and allow for bad people to take advantage of you. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's super important. You got to have healthy boundaries around you. And, um, you know, even like when it comes to like the dating scene, right, it's like so personally speaking, like I'm back in the dating scene and I've taken my time to heal and I'm kind of testing my market value a little bit. And it, it's funny. So. Um, you know, I've gotten some some uh, DMs and stuff from people who have asked me like, hey, this person, is this person a narcissist or did they just let me down? <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, what's your advice for like spotting out toxic relation? I mean, toxic behavior as you're pushing through? I tell people don't look for the narcissist. Uh, it's, uh, you know, because if you're looking for one, you're going to find one. You're going to look at mm -hmm. things and you're going to think that every single thing is narcissistic. Instead, just pay attention to how people are treating you. Instead of trying to figure out if they're toxic, if they're this, if you don't like the people, the way that people are treating you, then that that's that's a sign that it's, um, you know, if they're not able, you don't have an ability to um, set and respect boundaries and, and respect your boundaries, then we don't have to figure out who this person is, what this person is. But, um, but also I would say, uh, one of the fastest ways to figure out if someone is toxic, narcissistic, not for you, is to go slow. Um, the reality of it is, is that it takes a very long time to get to know people. And a lot of times people will ask, you know, well, what questions should I ask? You can ask all the right questions. Sometimes they might even, you know, even the right person might be honest about what they're answering. But the problem is, is that what if they're just, what if they're just not self-aware of some of their own behavior? So the only way for us to know if someone is a good fit for us is to just take our time and um takes a takes a long time i would you know if you have kids i would uh wouldn't introduce your kids for you know for about a year you know and and you know and so significantly slow that pace down that first six months to a year is going to be nothing but honeymoon phase and so and so keep in mind that if it's nothing but honeymoon phase for the first six months to a year and you're really not getting to know that person for the true essence of who they are for, you know, another, uh, you know, for until that second and that third year. That kind of gives you that that time frame of how you actually need to pace your life. That okay, well maybe I don't introduce my family, or I don't bring them around significant events. Maybe they don't need to go to that wedding, you know, that we're even though we're exclusive three months in. Maybe um, they shouldn't go to my child's birthday party. These are bigger deals. You know, if I know in that first year, if I, if I, if I, in, in a year, I don't know someone very well. Right. And so, uh, so that everyone's a little bit different, but that kind of gives you a gauge of, of, um, of where you should be. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, I mean, I, I think you would agree, right? You got to look for patterns. You got to yeah. look for patterns in someone's behavior, pay attention to patterns. You know, if you're falling, if you fall in the water once, you might not be a duck. But if, you, if you're swimming around and you're yellow and you got web feet, then you might be a duck. And the other thing is, too, personally speaking, and I just want to say this for anybody listening too, is like, you know, take the take the rose colored glasses off and don't fall so in love with somebody so quickly. You know what I mean? Because we tend to do that as the empathetic people that we are. We try and like project this. You're everything that I want type of thing. And it can't be like that. You got to get to know people. Like Matt's saying, you take it slow. 
get to know somebody, keep the rose colored glasses off, take your time, go slow and look for patterns. I love that. And, and on t- this is why I tell people you don't have to look for a narcissist is um, you're going to know. Uh, like we said earlier, you knew the first time, you know, so you're going to know uh, when and if you are with someone who it, it's just that the, you know, if this happens again, you need to make sure that you trust your gut and that you, um, that you trust your gut and that you don't uh, continue with the relationship if you start seeing that t- that pattern. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think just it's important to really focus on yourself and get your your individuality back, right? Yeah. Like get back to being, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I want to get back to the person that I was before the narcissist. And in my opinion, I don't really see that happening. I want to oh, be yeah. a better version, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I mean, Matt, listen, we're coming to the end of the hour. Um, is there anything that you want to plug in terms of like your coaching and your podcast? I want to hear some of the stuff that you're on some of those platforms. Uh, yeah, I mean, you you can um, if you are following following me on social media, you can go to any of my links in my bio. Um, I have a little bit of everything. I mean, I have courses. I have um, so you can work with myself. I, I have two other coaches that work with me, so you can work with them. Um, right now, um, depending on when you're listening to this, but if you're, if you're listening to this in the month of January, um, we have 75% off of all of my courses. So that's co-parenting course, trauma bond course, sphere campaign course, and also emotional triggers course. Uh, so I have a variety of content, variety of, um, of products. And so, um, so take full advantage of it. Yeah. Really, really cool. I love your content. You, like I said, you're one of the first people I follow on this whole thing. And it's really, truly an honor to do this podcast with you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you to Matt for being on it. And uh, until next time, everybody.